0: Nice to have you here. What a great, wonderful spring day we've been having It's just um, it just uh, seems uh, unreal. Um, how in the world could we possibly be having this kind of weather at this time of the year the um I was up at the seminary uh, they they are, they have a, a symposia at the seminary, and usually they bring in people from all over the world you know and, and they it's kind of a, a gathering of, of good, solid, confessional Lutherans. And, and there's one thing about, about um, the Missouri Synod. Uh, we do not believe in having conferences in places with nice weather. Uh, the the big gathering, theological gathering takes place in Fort Wayne in January and let me tell you that's about as abysmal of a place as you could imagine in the winter. Then we have synodical conferences in St. Louis in July uh, which is like taking a sauna. Um, so anyway, suffering is, uh, is our way of life. Um, we believe in that. But this time we didn't have much suffering at all. It was pretty, quite, really quite amazing. Yesterday here, um, I don't know about you guys, but we, uh, Solveig and I ended up taking a few walks just to enjoy the wonderful gift that God has given to us. Um, quite a week. Um, the, uh, not just the inauguration of a, uh, of a new president, obviously there was and is and will be an awful lot of consternation and um, anxiety uh, over this uh, president and uh, what he is going to be doing. Uh, for some people, that represents a deliverance. For other people, it represents bondage. And uh, it doesn't seem as though there's too much in between. I know uh, as Christians, we have uh, really all had our deep concerns over the fact that um, that Christianity has uh, been very much kind of you know, shoved to the side. Um, it is, a, um, it is our, our place in the world stage uh, as a country is one consideration, but the radical acceptance of very deviant moralities uh, by the way in which our government has protected those deviancies um, has really brought a lot of uh, concern to people, But what happens is uh, Christians find themselves kind of politically vacillating in different directions, maybe depending upon some of these issues, but it doesn't always necessarily make you good bedfellows with the people with whom you then align yourself. We are never, ever truly, as Christians, a truly political, if you will. Um, our concern lies in the fact that we want the gospel to be preached Uh, It is our our belief that when the gospel is preached that it does uh, incredible things for a country, it brings God's blessings upon a country. And uh, and when the gospel ends up being uh, despised, when the gospel is abused, um, no matter how uh, economically successful a country might be, in fact, prosperity can sometimes actually be a negative thing because uh, there is a false sense of security that comes with that kind of prosperity, and um, and uh, so we're going fi- to we're going to see here how it is that Isaiah um, addresses, I think, a lot of the situation that we are in or could potentially face. Because what he's doing is he's providing us with prophecies about things that will happen, and. He explains what is the, the, the dynamics that brought about those pr- that prophetic fulfillment of these things. So it um, doesn't necessarily mean that he was speaking about what was, but what would be. And so we have to look at where we are and anticipate what that could be <laughs> if things are not, uh, if we don't handle things right. So um, let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer, if you would. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we pray earnestly for our church. We pray for ourselves as Christians in this world and pray that we might be lights of your gospel to the world. But in order for us to be able to be a light of grace, we have to be an object of mercy. And that therefore means that we must be honest about ourselves honest about our own weaknesses, honest about our own failings, and that we must not get caught up in a theology of glory that portends the idea that we are going to somehow improve ourselves and thereby gain salvation. We therefore pray for the humility to be able to not only recognize our own failings and weaknesses, but we pray for the faith to trust in you and in your word and in the process whereby your people are able to be preserved. But today we pray especially for those who are in authority, for those who occupy positions of governance. And we know, Lord, that there too, these people are imperfect, but we pray that they may have wisdom and may do those things which are right, not just those things which are politically expedient. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, yes indeed Um, let's uh, look at chapter 22 you've all got your Bibles get your Bibles out and we'll walk through all this with Martin and see what he says an oracle concerning the valley of a vision, he says. Now, there are two things here. One is, uh, we're going to, Luther's going to identify what he is speaking about, to whom he is speaking. But then he uses an interesting thing called antiphrasis, antiphrasis. Well, uh, I'll read that. This is a prophecy of calamity against Jerusalem, and above all, against its chief governor, who is here, not her, who is here, called Shabaniah. This is an antiphrasis in the word, not world, but word, valley, because Jerusalem is elsewhere called a mountain. Now, um, one of the things that, uh, in biblical interpretation, there's so much, um, the the language is, you have to understand all these figures of speech, I guess you might call them, that are used. Uh, People, who don't recognize figures of speech, don't see the depth of the dimension of what's being said in very simple ways. So when Jerusalem, which is ordinarily called a mountain, is suddenly now called a valley, it means that they have gone or will go from the heights, which represent significance, right, heights that represent, you know, like, like fortresses built upon hills that were unassailable, the, the very uh, heights are always a significant um, representation, if you will, of security, uh, we, we sing a mighty fortress is our God, right, that fortress, that Wartburg that sat upon the hill, that unassailable fortress, um, if he says that Jerusalem is now going to be a valley, now you get the idea. A valley of vision, they are going to be brought low. This is, and these are are subtle things, but they're things that I think the people would know, but also um, the theme is so easily set here that when people, what does Jesus say? He who exalts himself will be, He who exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. When somebody says, to you, when you come to a feast, don't go and choose the highest table because somebody's going to come and tell you to move down and then you'll be humbled. Choose the lowest table and then when they come and they say, move up higher, then you are exalted. So as Christians We always have to recognize that it's much better to start off in the valley than it is by claiming that we are up there on the very top on the mountain, right? So, yeah. 22, verse 4. Therefore I said, Turn away from me. Let me weep bitterly. Do not try to console me over the destruction of my people. He said, A day of killing. Why don't you read with me just what it is that Luther writes about this. And this is 22 verse four, right after the day of killing. The king of Babylon would not have had so much power if God had not promised it and had not withdrawn his hand from the Jews. An important point. What is so amazing, maybe, maybe to all, uh, in, this is in history, is that God could actually give power to the enemies of his own people. And he could withdraw his protection from those who claim to be his people. When does this happen? What are the circumstances under which God would do that? Now, um, how many of you have ever seen the movie? I hate to say movie because... We've got a whole bunch of dinosaurs in here who don't watch movies. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but Apocalypse Now, did you ever see that? That Martin Sheen thing? Oh, no, uh, what was it? Apocalypse Now? No, it was another one. Um, yeah, anyway, it had uh, these guys were all being surrounded by the Viet Cong. And they were trying to hold out their defenses and suddenly they discovered that the Viet Cong had penetrated all their defenses and they were literally on top of them and among them. So what they did is they called up and they told the American planes to come in and to bomb them. Because the only advantage that they had was that by digging in they would be able to maybe survive from the bombing while it killed those who were coming after them. When, uh, when the church, when God's people are involved in a, in a, in a world in which um, the world is getting its hands on God's people, when the remnant who are God's children are put into a situation where they're going to lose their faith if, if this world has its way with them, God can also drop the bombs right on top of his own people. And what he did was the king of Babylon came and he conquered this land and took away all these people to the land of Babylon where they lived now in captivity for 70 years. Then he brought back a remnant after that. He cleansed, he purified. So we have to remember that even though, even though God makes his promises to his children that he will never leave us or forsake us, Yet if the world ever gets to a point where we cannot be the church inside of the world, that means the United States too. God will take away his protection of our country and he will give power to the people that we consider to be our worst enemies. So there's a, this, is, this is the dynamic here behind uh, this prophecy what's called a day of killing. 22, verse 11. You built a reservoir between two walls for the water of the old pool, but you did not look to the one who made it or have a regard for the one who planned it long ago. Luther writes, O hardened hearts that do not acknowledge their guilt in in, in, uh, time of punishment, in time of punishment, do not return to him who is afflicting them, but meanwhile soothe themselves by saying, I had to type all this stuff out. You've got to pardon me. The (laughs) temple of the Lord is with us. We are the seed of Abraham, the people of the just and holy God. What they suffer, they will more quickly ascribe to the devil than to God and to the sins of others more readily than to their own. Now, this idea of this pool, you know, you, the, the people of Jerusalem, if, you were, if your city was attacked, Jerusalem was pretty much, they say, left, if they had been unified, the city of Jerusalem would have been an absolutely impenetrable fortress. Um, it was not only set high upon a hill, but the way that it was constructed, even the temple itself, was a fortress. And um, what the one thing that was almost always lacking which uh, would always subject the uh, the fortress to some sort of danger was either that it ran out of food or it ran out of water and water was of course one of the most important things of all so they built a fantastic aqueduct system that ran down into the city of jerusalem they they literally hollowed out this tunnel it's called hezekiah's tunnel has anybody ever seen hezekiah's tunnel john you 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 you're, you are. Know, people say when they walk in the thing, they just get claustrophobic because of the great distance that it has. But uh, they would say to themselves, "We're we're safe. We're okay." Now, what what's our problem here? Our problem isn't that we've got any sins. The problem is always that somebody else has got sins. Now this is a this is a problem in our country. You know. I, There's always, how would you say, there's always an application for kind of what goes on in the world has its kind of its parallel also in the church. So we have to be mindful that when we are critical of the world, we have to also be mindful of some of the things that we ourselves are doing. But in the world, in the world in which we're living now, the political rancor is that the sins of of our country, the problems of our country are due to the sins of the other party. And you know that that's not true. There's no way. They are all our sins. And there are different kinds of sins, but they are sins, truly sins, but at the same time, we can't go around always thinking that the enemy is over there. And it's always the devil well, the devil's doing it, I see. Or who? Who would be the ones that would be doing it? He says, well, there, there is a... I guess I'm amazed, almost all of Christianity, kind of the history of Christianity, is an awful lot about kind of, you know, me and God. You know, I, I repented. I'm a person who came to believe. I was converted. But we very seldom talk about us in a corporate sense. And the Jews talked about themselves in this corporate way. In other words, God's people. What happened to God's people happened to them all. Whatever it is, if the Babylonians came, they took away the people, all the people. They conquered everybody. And you kind of had Christians mixed in with hypocrites or non-Christians, non-believers. When you think, therefore, in terms of wholeness, as they did in ancient times. We have to buy into the problems of our country as a whole. It's our country. And so therefore, if something fails in this country, it's all of our problem. And if people would think in those terms, I think we might see a lot more unity that it belongs to all of us, don't you think? Rather than saying... Problems with our country is those doggone liberals. Problem in our country is those doggone narrow-minded. What are all the words? That bigoted, misogynist, sexist guy that became the president of our country. But don't mind the fact that I'm on my third marriage. He's a bigoted, misogynist, sexist. And what we have to say is we have to say, all right, there, that might be the case, but I have to own it. And how do I redeem that situation? How do I make that situation better? So uh, Isaiah here is telling us, um, we've got to think here, not just about what it is that all the other bad people are doing, we've got to think about what it is that we're doing too, and think in terms of holes. We own the whole thing. If you have children that are rebellious, If you have children that are problems, you own it, don't you? You own it. That's the way in which I think we should think as a country. We own it. Now, we do have a Canadian here, and I know that she thinks that they don't have any problems in Canada, but there are all kinds of people that are willing to move there, I hear. (laughs) Or maybe not so much anymore. Okay, Um, 2214, why don't you read it? The Lord Almighty has revealed this in my hearing. Till your dying day, this sin will not be atoned for, says the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Luther says, for our nature relies on things present and despises things absent. It cannot do otherwise unless it is threatened by the Word and Spirit of God from heaven. Again, our nature is arrogant in good times and broken up and despairing in bad times. What do we have to do? What does this tell us? We don't, we don't want... How old is our country? Oh, Anybody done the math? How old are we? 76. Come on, Bill. <laughs> Two hundred <Yeah>. plus. <laughs> Four hundred plus, three hundred plus. All right. The the very the very fact that um, we are on the world stage a baby. We we are young. Good, he's gonna do the math. Two hundred and forty years, six months and eighteen days. We appreciate that. Yeah, that's very good, very right down to the point. Anyway. Um, we have to we have to sit back sometimes and we have to think, do we take our freedom for granted? I mean, do we really? You stop and think about all the people in the world, and how many years have, we are talking earlier about the people in Latvia, how many years of freedom have they enjoyed? Like five? People who are uh, living in Italy, we think, oh, they're ancient culture. When was the last time that Italy saw a war? All right. Whose phone is going off? That's right. Oh, oh, I'm, well, was it you, Ned? It was, was, okay, that's, that's right. He blamed it on Carol, though. (laughs) Nature, human nature, it's her fault. Okay, 2216, you have hewn here a tomb for yourself. Um, Luther kind of says, what the the heck was wrong with that? You've made a tomb for yourself. Luther said, there's got to be something deeper here. And then he goes on to say, there's nothing so good, nothing so trivial, that does not become evil and destructive when contempt of the Lord is added. You notice how it is that people always want to be able to appeal to their good works. Uh, You know, of course... Let's blame the politicians. I did this for you. We had this project. I made sure that you got these funds. I did all these things for you. We always like to be able to kind of whitewash or baptize ourselves with all kinds of these good things. But Luther says, it doesn't matter what it is. No matter how small it might be, if there is contempt for God, nothing becomes good in God's sight. Abby, um, I notice that you're falling asleep back there. Um, do you, um, We would. Everybody would like for you to stand up and do jumping jacks right now. <laughs> now she she was just catching flies. <laughs> All right. Let's look at look look a little deeper here. I will clothe them with your robe, twenty two verse twenty one. What does Luther say? The prince which we could take as a ruler of any kind, should be a father of his country. Is that what we're going to see? What does it mean to be a father? And I will place the key of the house of David in 22.22. In the book of Revelation, these words are cited as applying to Christ. And he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. Now listen to this and see if this doesn't apply to our concerns today. A wise man in public administration is a great gift of God and he is called a safe peg or rather a rare gem and through that one good man many good things come to be. The opposite is also true. He is called a peg because all cling to him and all business falls on him. The words in a sure place... He will not be a reed shaken by the wind. That is, he will not be influenced by either fear or favor. It is not enough to be a wise, useful, and honorable prince if he is not also firm and serious. For there are many assaults on him who desires to govern well. I, I don't know about you guys, but I think there's this implicit idea that if the media is showing people protesting or being angry or being upset that somehow the ruler is a person who has failed. I would think, actually, if you're doing what's right, you're going to have people who are going to hate you. And if we can understand that, maybe we can also pray in the right way because we need to have rulers who are willing to accept the flack, the hatred maybe even, in order to be able to do what's right. And that's what we should pray for. Because they need to have our support. They need our prayers. They need God's help more so than anything else. They, um, this never came quite as clear to me as when we were talking to our Haitian pastors and they said that, um, you know, in Haitian culture, we've said this many times over, that Voodoo is actually kind of like what you might call the the national religion of Haiti. And the president of Haiti is always the high priest of the Voodoo culture. And the high priest in the Voodoo culture is supported by the highest form of demons. That is to say, their demon is more powerful than the other demons in the Voodoo culture. Now you think, ah, it's a you know kind of paganism, you know, but according to uh, the scriptures, there actually is in rulers. There are there are angels that become assisting of these rulers, and when God pulls back these angels from protecting and assisting, they cannot do they cannot function they cannot achieve what it is that they want you're a man of authority you say to one come and he comes and he say to another go and he goes just say the word and your servant will be healed jesus recognizes that this person understands something that the word of authority does not come because of who the human being is but because god himself if you will blesses that word so when you're a parent and you say to your children do this or do that Your children are not doing it merely because they they like you or that they're going to get their meal from you or whatever it might be. They're actually recognizing the authority that God has given unto you and by means of that same authority you are achieving in them something that you cannot achieve otherwise. Why does God do this? God does it for two reasons. One is that your children will be that sin that is in them will be addressed by you and they will know this is not just you, it's also God who does this. But that's only a secondary thing. The primary thing is that when you say to your children what God thinks of them, that your children, when you use that authority that God has given to you with angelic presence, that those words will actually speak into your heart, their heart, and let them know that they stand as God's children in his presence, that they are forgiven for their sins. This is what it is that you're doing. When you do devotions with your kids, when you read Bible stories with them, when you pray with them at night before they go to bed, it is not just you. There are angels present working through you and when rulers take offices either they have god's angel or they have a demon and they are not by themselves we say what happened to adolf hitler what happened it wasn't just a a man who just got too filled up with himself this is a man who actually became an instrument of a demon and what what happened? God had to drop the doggone bombs on the very people who were our friends, relatives, and our beloved fellow Christians. We have, to, we have to realize, Paul says, we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in high places. He's speaking about the fact that we are dealing in a world for which there are both good and evil angels at work. And they are present wherever you find authority present. So um, I, I forgot what it is that I started with here. Um, I know I had something to do with this text. Yeah. So a wise man, a person who is, a person who is with a God in an office, is what they call a safe pig because he will be a person who will stand up against evil and he will do so understanding that the price that is paid, he is paying, he is willing to accept for the sake and for the well-being of his children if he's a father. Yeah. 22, 24, various kinds of vessels. Luther writes, here then let us acknowledge that a good ruler is a son of God and let the people be attracted to peace. To those who confess their sins and pray, the Lord will give good rulers. Their own willing and choosing will do nothing. The devil is more interested in having foolish rulers and rebellious people. If the opposite obtains, it is evidence of God's blessing. I think We all know what that is saying, don't we? We all know this is not something that happens just simply. We don't just, it isn't because we choose to have peace that we have peace. We have to recognize that our rulers have to be people who are sons of God. Now, you know, this is one of the reasons why it is that people have criticized you Lutherans because... Lutherans have always had a very hard time being able to believe that they need to depose their rulers even when their rulers are bad people. They uh, criticized Lutherans because, um, in fact, there was, a, there was quite a debate in Germany at, at the time that Adolf Hitler was assuming power. Whether or not they should, uh, well, you know, there were numerous attempts on the life of Adolf Hitler. And many of those people, of course, died because all of them were not successful. But there were people that also said, no, we have to simply be prepared for when God removes Adolf Hitler from power. And they came this close to removing Hitler from power when Hitler moved into Czechoslovakia. Remember that? When they went into Czechoslovakia and took over Czechoslovakia? They were all set that they were going to actually remove him from power. There was going to be a coup. They were going to remove him from power when he moved into Czechoslovakia. And they got ready to go, and they were going to take him out. And Chamberlain from England came over and said, that's okay. And so they didn't. Can you imagine how the world would be different today if Chamberlain hadn't given them Czechoslovakia? Well, do we kill people who are bad people in office or do we wait for God to do the killing now in our country we've got this thing called an election which means that people have a chance of actually being able to remove their leaders years ago if you had a king your king was the king and you didn't touch the king because if you killed the king he wouldn't be able to choose the next ruler it would probably be one of his relatives and of course we have to say, were their good kings, were there bad kings? Well, in Israel, there are good kings and there are bad kings. But look what happened when David was promised, he was even appointed by God to be the successor to Saul. David had the opportunity. He was in a cave when Saul came in for a potty break. And there he was in the back of the cave. Saul was absolutely defensive. David could have gone out and sliced off his head. Dave, David refused to do it. That was for God to do. And even when Saul falls in battle and this guy comes and claims to David that he killed Saul, although Saul fell on his own sword, to committed suicide, this guy came and said, no, no, I, I, you know, I killed Saul myself. And He thought David was going to give him a big reward. You know what David did? He had him put to death. To touch a person... Who is in an office like this is a very dangerous thing, and you better be really right now, uh, my wife and I have had debates about whether or not Hitler should have been killed and I want to let you know that um, she's always right <laughs> and um, otherwise I might get deposed as the father of a family, but no she We've had this debate, and I think sometimes it's a legitimate debate, that there gets to be a point at which a person has become so evil, so tyrannous, that we have to do something to remove them. But I tell you what, it's going to take an awful lot because we are not people who have all the facts. It's very difficult. But I can guarantee you this, that we do not get anywhere in this country by the way in which... We burn cars, riot in streets, break windows. Uh, the, this this, this is, is wrong and sinful, and I wish that our press in this country would call it that. It's, it's a behavior which certainly, for, would, as Christians, would not be the right kind. Um, all right. It's okay to protest. We know that. What else are we going to do here? Various kinds of vessels, 224, we already read that. An oracle concerning Tyre. Um, those of you who have ever been over there, this, uh, s- this city of Tyre is uh, off the coast, kind of just south of Lebanon, and it's, uh, it's right off the coast, and it was uh, considered to be uh, absolutely impregnable because it was an island off the coast, and, um, and nobody could touch them, not only just because of the fact that it was an island, but it was a, so well fortified and they were so extremely wealthy that they probably were capable of being able to have every, what would you might call, modern form of warfare that existed. There were only two people that ever took Tyre. Um, one, of, one group was the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, and then the other was Alexander the Great, and he did it by building a, um, how would you say, a road, a, 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 a causeway all the way out from the mainland to Tyre, and he made it into a peninsula, and then he took the city. And Tyre was, it was, if you can well imagine, uh, they, they, were, they were so wealthy that they stood on uh, the common citizens in, uh, I guess you might call the, the merchants entire. Tyre, uh, they actually were as wealthy as kings in foreign countries. And they became arrogant, and they became perverted, and they were people that trusted in their own uh, wealth, and they ended up bearing the consequences of it. What did he say? 23.3, merchant of the nations. Here the prophet reproves the greed and pride of good times, which are often followed by many other kinds of vice. And that is true, true, true. Remember that story of the prodigal son? Yeah. Prodigal son, man had two sons. You remember the story in Luke One son stays, the other son claims his inheritance, goes away to a faraway city where he squanders, according to his brother, he squanders his living with prostitutes. And wherever money goes, there goes also vice. And that's why these cities not just become, not not only do do they become arrogant, but also they become weak. Because when people are addicted to vices, they are also a people who become weak, and that's why barbarians very often conquer civilizations. It's the Mongol horde that swallows up the Middle East. It's the Mongol horde that destroys these uh, these uh, countries in Europe. Twenty-three-seven. Let's flip around over. Is this your city? Luther says, the cause of Tyre's arrogance was its great age and the fact that it was so strongly fortified and so very rich. Now, when, when you say age, you think, what, what does that mean? Um, if you were to think of England, have you, have you ever been watching some of these English movies? They speak with such an English accent that I can't understand what in the world they're saying in these movies, but this is England, and if I wanted to be really sophisticated, I would speak to you in an English accent, because it's always much more profound when you're speaking in an English accent. And there's something about England and its antiquity that somehow makes it seem as though that's where true knowledge is to be found. But you Americans, you Americans, you're, you're shallow and you're just consumed with wanting to do things like hunting and killing deers and things like that. Well, the people of Tyre, there was an ancient civilization. They were Phoenicians. They had sailed the world. And they looked at Israel and all these people around them as being very insignificant. Trust in the flesh and pride against God. In God's house are the worst, Luther is going to point out. Guess who has arrogance because of age and antiquity in Christendom? The papacy. Thus, by Scripture, we are led to believe things that are absurd, impossible, and contrary to our reason. For this is the work of God to humble the proud and exalt the humbled, to make something great of the least and vice versa, just so he does here with the wealthy city of Tyre. Let this be an example to our arrogant tyrants, Luther says. Yeah, remember Paul says, God chose what is weak and despised in the world, even the things that are not, in order to make foolish the things that are, so that no human being may boast in God's sight. If you, are going to, if you are going to make known uh, your, your grace, you don't make your grace known to people who think they have it all. You make your grace known to people who don't have it all. And God in his infinite wisdom has chosen not to bestow himself upon the great and the mighty of the world. God reaches down down to the bottom, to the poor, and to those who are not possessed with the things of this world, and he bestows upon them his richest gifts. That is, um, that's so contrary to the way that the world thinks. You know, it's, it's, I don't know why I didn't get invited to uh, the inauguration. <laughs> um, I think it was because they wanted to in, the invite the poor of the world Um, yes I'm just being facetious okay 2316 as in the song for all forms of idolatry have the semblance of piety very interesting comment by Luther now this is where it is that uh, you know the, the scriptures will sometimes say let the reader understand understand something here folks that Uh, Luther would say, God wants us to recognize him under the mask of the devil, and he wants us to recognize the devil under the mask of God. That is to say that the devil cloaks himself with all kinds of piety. Look at the the temptations. He quotes the scriptures. Yeah, you can take this, this glorious piety so holy, so set apart, so unlike with the world, so wondrous. And underneath it all, the devil is there, and God wants us to recognize. He wants us to recognize he say, him under the face of the devil. What he means with guys like Luther, who they called the devil because of the fact that Luther discounted this pretentious piety that Rome was trying to put, uh, voice upon the people. And he wants us to see that when we see that gospel, that pure, wondrous gospel, no matter where we find it and no matter what it looks like, and oftentimes it doesn't look very wonderful, that's where God is. So let's not ever be fooled by the big numbers. By the way, did you see that, who uh, Trump's pastor is now? Excuse me, pastoress. Yes, uh, this lady who's got some church of 20-some thousand people down in Florida. And she never talks about Jesus. Um, Rather, she's on her third marriage. Kind of an interesting choice. She's she's the female version of Joel Osteen, who is down in Texas. Yeah. She's... um, it's you just kind of have to hold hold your breath on on this one, um, and and what she they, she is they say that what I have not read everything but they say that she's a proponent of what we call the prosperity gospel. Have you ever heard of that before? Where if you are obedient to God and you do all this kind of stuff, then God's going to prosper you, and you're going to become wealthier and you're going to have more money. Prosperity gospel gets. I mean, people just eat it up. All you have to do, you know, your problems in life are just due to the fact that you don't have enough self-esteem. You've got to start esteeming yourself. You've got to start thinking better of yourself because God thinks a lot of you. And what's sin? I don't know. My son Hans once said, um, an alcoholic's drinking game, the best alcoholic's drinking game is that you take a shot of liquor every time that Joel Osteen mentions Jesus. Did that shot of liquor thing kind of get you going over there yeah. <laughs> yeah joel osteen never mentions jesus so that would be the right kind of thing all right 24 3 for the lord has spoken this word the historian writes that jerusalem was captured by a special divine command of god thus also titus was amazed that he had taken so great a city, so well fortified, and he ascribed it not to his own army, but to the divine will. You know, Titus conquered Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And as Josephus relates, there were a million 100,000 people that were killed when Titus took Jerusalem. Now you say, how did this happen? The Romans are saying, we don't even know ourselves. It was so well fortified. But what happened was Jerusalem was divided into three camps. Always, always, always when you have three camps, you had zealots, you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you had a triangulated contention within the ranks of Jerusalem and Jerusalem fell mainly from what was within, not from the outside. Our country, Rome, whatever it might be, doesn't Perish because of the assaults from the outside. It perishes because of the weakness and the fragmentation from the inside. Beware America. Because if that kind of fragmentation takes place in our country, it weakens us and puts us in a position that is very, very tenuous in this world in which we're living today. But that's I'm not that's that's not the worst of all things, the worst of all things is when it happens inside the church. And when the church gets divided and broken into pieces like this, the church crumbles from within. At least the visible church crumbles. Um, we're almost there. Uh, For the Lord has spoken this word, 24-3. We already read that. Number twenty-four fourteen. they... Luther uses just one word. This text clearly speaks of the apostles proclaiming the gospel openly and praising the mercy of Christ. He conquered Satan, the flesh, and the world. St. Paul beautifully depicts this exaltation and triumph when he writes in 1 Corinthians 2.13. So the prophet writes, over the majesty of the Lord, and he describes Christ's total power and especially his resurrection, whereby he has justified us and in which all the godly must trust above all." So what's so odd is that you have these these woes and this destruction and this punishment of God over here, and then you have these wondrous promises of the Messiah and a Savior who is going to come and justify us and redeem us and gain for us eternal life. I think we hear um, I think it's a Methodist out there who is <laughs> crying. No. All right. Um, I'm going to just jump all the way down to 24, 23. The sun will be ashamed, and then he uses the word his elders, his apostles and bishops. Th- that is, his elders are his apostles and bishops. Even the sun and the moon will not seem to shine for them because they have an empty heart. For all things are as we are in spirit. So the sun, moon, bells, drums, and suns sound and shine, sad to the sad, but are joyful to the happy and rejoicing. The sad and gloomy at heart see and hear nothing but sad and gloomy things as we learn by experience. Now, here Joel Osteen might be right. Don't quote me. <laughs> Meaning, it's the way in which we're going to view our world, right? Right? If we as Christians know that we have a Lord and a Savior and a God who rules this creation, we can look at our life and find joy in it. But when it's doom and gloom and terrible and rotten and it's going to fall apart and there's no hope, then everything in life is exactly that too. It is wrong no matter how bad things might be, it is wrong for us to not carry that joy that we have as Christians into our life. And when we do, everything in our life is far, far more sweet, no matter how difficult and how hard it might be in life. So bear this in mind as we walk with Luther through Isaiah, that as Christians, we're wise. As Christians, we see this world for what it is, But as Christians, we are never, ever, ever to let the world overwhelm us and take away from us our joy. Amen. Okay, let's close with a prayer. Dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray pray for our country, we pray for our leaders, we pray for our church. But we pray for ourselves, too, that we ourselves might become lights of the gospel, that we might carry this gospel out into the world which is living in darkness, whether it thinks it is or not. The world with all of its prosperity cannot by any means compare to the riches that we have received from you. For you have said that you will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And for that Holy Spirit, we pray for wisdom. We pray for your holiness to cover us. We pray for our fellowship of saints that can stand in this world and confess you without fear. We pray for the forgiveness of our sins and for the resurrection of our bodies unto everlasting life. For having you, O Lord, we know we never, ever need to fear but can live our lives to its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.